Hey, welcome to my show. I'm Schnoodlebug. This is a DIY podcast about making stuff no matter what. As always, this episode is brought to you by Schnoodle Video. Hey, are you in need of an editor? Schnoodle Video offers professional short-form edits of long-form content like live streams and IRL events. For examples of their work, check out schnoodlevideo.com or hit the link in the show notes. After his first feature, Mango Shake, found its audience at the Laser Blast Film Society's What the Film Festival in Toronto in 2018, and eventually made its way to Viv, Terry Chu had already started planning his magnum opus, a three-hour lo-fi suburban virtual reality epic called Open Doom Crescendo, which he screened here in Vancouver last month at 648 Kingsway on the last stop of Terry's Suck It World Tour. But first, a quick chat with one of the executive producers of Open Doom Crescendo, filmmaker, author, and podcaster Justin DeClue, who owns and operates Gold Ninja Video, the criterion of public domain bargain bins. You can hear him on The Important Cinema Club with Will Sloan, No Such Thing as a Bad Movie with April Edmansky and Colin Cunningham, The Bay Street Video Podcast with Mark Hansen, The Very Fine Comic Book Podcast with Mike Wood, and this one. Enjoy. forum on 36 styles where yes someone opened up the conversation about gold ninja video and it was met with a bit of skepticism mm. and uh, negativity until you just came in there cleared the air and you want a bunch of people over uh which i really appreciate that kind of getting into the trenches i i usually try to stay away from that stuff like i don't go looking on blu-ray forum or anything like that because it's nice when people say really nice things but like any person who does anything creative or anything like that will tell you this, that like, that doesn't stick. What sticks is like someone saying something mean. And I think they were, I don't remember exactly what they were complaining about. Someone was talking about press discs or something like that, or like calling me like a bootleg company. And I'm like, Oh, I don't like that. So maybe I just came in and I talked about that a little bit. And yeah, since then they've been very nice. So I appreciate that. I did want to talk about the film scanner specifically because I remember sure. seeing that on Twitter and that was so exciting to see. I remember, uh, I actually have it here. It was September 8th, 2021, when you posted about the film scanner. Um, but it didn't arrive until the end of the year, right? No, it arrived at Christmas. And I know that because my friend had to come and get it. Because they dropped it in front of my apartment building. Like, they didn't even wait for anyone to sign or anything like that, which is wild. Because it was like a $14,000 machine. Oh my so I had God. to call up my friend Will, and he came and got it. He was the oh, hero uh, of that day. Wow. Yeah, Will Sloan. Save the day. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So the first I did on the scanner was uh, Iron Dragon Strikes Back. And then I did Revengeful Swordswoman. I don't know if I've done any that I've done on the scanner. Just because the scanner, and I knew this when I was getting it, it is so complicated. I hate using it. It is such a long, a, a, like a huge learning curve. And the guy who made it just released an update that actually fixes all the problems I have. It's four thousand dollars. So I'm like, oh my god! The update itself is four thousand dollars. Four thousand dollars. So he introduces like I won't get into it, but like a new camera, new light, new controls, and I can add it to mine. But that's how much it costs. So basically, when I got the scanner, like there's not really anywhere who could teach me how to do it. Like I was on the forums and in the Facebook groups, but no one's doing what I do, unless you have like you know a two hundred thousand dollar scanner, and you usually will have a veteran that will teach you how to do it. So I had to figure it out myself, just kind of 
you know, piecemeal through asking questions here or there. And I finally got to it, but there's just so many variables like, where's the light supposed to be? How bright is the light supposed to be? What are the settings on the scanner? Uh, focus. And it's all like very stressful. And because it's film, you if you screw up, it's going to take you like another like three hours to reset and then start up again. It's it's become almost common vernacular yeah. to just assume oh it's just a nicer version That's a new scan, of the film yeah. yeah but you'd be surprised at how often like companies like Kino they don't really do new scans they get them from the studios who have an in house that are doing scans to uh, show on like streaming websites right. they need a constant flux of stuff. So that's how they do it. Well, a company like Vinegar Syndrome, they do do their new scans because they were a um, a house that did that before then. Not house like literally like people lived in it, but they were a business that would do those scans. They had all the equipment to do that. So it was a very, um, you know, smooth transition into that space. I have none of that. So I'm all like, oh, my God, trying to figure it out. Is this something I can fix? Is this something that I can't fix? Uh, the biggest help I've got is someone that like cold emailed me months ago. And he said, hey, if you had any color correction that you want to do, I do it professionally. I'd love to help. He's been a such, I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have him. Oh, that's Probably, beautiful. Yeah, because I can't really do color correction. And like uh, Iron Dragon and Reventral Swordsman were red, 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 red prints. Right. So, yeah, he was able to solve it, get it like perfect. And like all the stuff I do with Gold Ninja Video, I try to be very honest and say like, listen, this is not going to be like, pristine or the best version of this that you can get and as long as i feel like i'm out you know they're saying that i don't feel like i'm ripping people off because that would be like a concern of mine somebody got it was like what it looks like a grindhouse print what 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 is this so i just want to mitigate that and I, I haven't really gotten any complaints in that sense yet so this is something that's only started recently which is that they went wait people will just buy whatever even if it doesn't look good and we will because we're fans like they're not selling to walmart anymore they're selling to the collectors exactly like on the agfa um shakorama video party those are all really low res copies on a blu-ray and some of them still have the something weird video burning right yeah and no one's complained because you know we know what we're getting into we're collectors and there isn't that kind of like oh i stumbled upon this at walmart to get it for my grandson what what is this that doesn't happen anymore with these kind of releases on that note though i mean you you see these companies almost take advantage of that uh where you're getting these 45 to 60 70 dollar sets yeah. you know that may I, have i think that's a... too expensive especially that these companies are putting like a lot of them out mm -hmm. and there must be a like like their audience can only be so big like i don't feel like they're getting bigger audiences so i wonder if it's like less people are buying stuff but the people who are buying are buying a lot like that must be the reason right because i would <laughs> think that you'd want to like you know, just you have a regular thing that you do regularly. So that's good. And it's it's solid. But companies uh, and we're talking about vinegar syndrome specifically, of course, grow so big that I can't even keep track of all the stuff that they're putting out, which is oh, a it's real impossible. It's all amazing. They do like top shelf work. I mean, some of those 4K releases and they're beautiful. Like you can't get better than these. Like it says they retail for ninety dollars. And, and I mean, they cut it down. They say, oh, it's 90, but we're selling it for 60. That is, I mean, I joked about this like a couple years ago, but we're in Laserdisc territory now. Like that's how much Laserdiscs were when they came out. Absolutely. That's where we are now. Except it's not for like Blade Runner or anything like that. It's for um, a Chuck Norris film. <laughs>
So when it comes to modern filmmakers, because I do a lot of stuff that's like in the public domain, I didn't just want to do that. And so I wanted to do what no one ever offered me, which is like, hey, we'll take your movie. We'll put it out. Big special edition. We don't own it. Like my first feature film, Teddy Bomb, someone owned it for a year and I just couldn't do anything with it. And a lot of companies will sign contracts that are like, we own the movie forever. And that's awful. I mean, people like uh, Bill Lustig, he got movies for a lifetime and he continually releases them on Blu-ray and 4K. And that works for him. But uh, I really want to not like like pressure the filmmakers too much either. It's like, oh, it was a big commitment. And like a lot of them, I'll be honest, like the new films are the ones that sell the least. So like, I don't think I've sold out any of the ones except for the Moturn ones. So my pal, Peter Kaplowski, which I did the Laser Blast Film Society with, he was already friends with Matt. And I went to one of his big concerts. So I met Matt, very friendly, like super affable. And when I had done Flesh Freaks, I don't know if I had done another one before that. I then felt comfortable enough to approach him and go, hey, how would you feel that I released one of your films on Blu-ray? It's a big special edition. Now he had done Blu-rays himself, but they would go out of print. I think he would do a thousand. When he was done, he was done. And he gave a lot of those out for free. And I said, I think that it would help that if your movie is like, they just had kind of context around them. That sometimes like if you just see them, you're like, is this a joke? Who is making these? And so I started with Local Legends, and that was great. I mm -hmm. love doing that. And people really enjoyed it as well. So then I just moved on to Don't Let the River Beast Get You and uh, Metal Detector Maniac. And we just put out Freaky Farley, which we did a new scan for. So cool. uh, I didn't scan that because it was the negative. So I didn't feel comfortable handling cool. that. We sent that to a, to a, a, a scan house. Oh. Yeah, I don't. If I'm like if I'm nervous about scanning something, I do not want the only existing copy of that thing running through the projector. Oh, of yeah. course. Uh, so yeah, so they did that, and that took a year to actually get done as well. Uh, but it's out now. It's out on Blu-ray at GoldenVideo.com. Those guys have been great. Super generous with their time, wanting to do anything, even pitching stuff to me that I'm like I, I wasn't expecting to do that. Like they did a commentary for Freaky Farley, and I said, "Oh guys, we don't need to do another comment. You guys did one." He's like, "No, no, I want to do one." And all I want to talk about is the pain of making the movie. Oh. So I call it the pain commentary and it's on the Blu-ray where I'm like, all right, how is this painful? And then they talk about it. I love that. For a long time, I did it manually. Is that like I got them printed at a place because I, I could never figure out. I tried to print them here and it looked good. And then I would cut them myself and then put them in the thing. And the company I was using, they didn't have that paper anymore. So I had to find somewhere else. And now they cut them. And that was very stressful as well. I'm not a graphic designer either. Like... And I kind of hate doing that, but I, I don't sell enough discs that I could pay someone to do it for me, which is like that weird, awkward point. So I still do it myself. And what I found out really early on was I'm going to make a template. I'm going to stick to that template so I don't have to worry about the design each time. It's the same thing with the menus. They're very simple. It's just the poster of the film and the choices. You don't have to go through any logos or anything like that. I hate that stuff when I have to watch discs. And you're like hitting next and you're like, I can't skip it. Why can't I skip it? So none of that. I just want to make the ultimate experience as a consumer when I make those discs to other people. So it's like very, I do feel it does look a little amateurish when you flip to the back. I don't know how to fix that. So I'm just doing my best as I go along. Bay Street Video Podcast, uh, Bay Street Video being uh, the largest collection of DVDs and Blu-rays in Toronto. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Which is Prob incredible. I wonder if there's any like big video stores like it anywhere else. There's Eyesore Cinema in Toronto. It's very small. But like as far as other like video stores in Canada, I can think of, uh, what is it called? There's one in Vancouver that Robin Bougie works, the guy who does uh, Cinema Sewer. But that one is small. It's just like part of a record store now. There's no more like stores dedicated to that anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the Videomatica, and then Videomatica. Uh, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, we just we just lost Black Dog Video, unfortunately. That was one yeah. of the last rental stores. Um, and you know, it's it's as someone who worked at a video store for eleven years, like right up until it closed in twenty eleven, and it was a local one uh, in the town I grew up in. I think that like those video stores, there's not that many that exist, but like rental isn't that much of a sustainable thing anymore because rentals are mostly an older crowd that do it, and eventually that will die out. But buying people love to buy stuff. It's like record shops, right? Is that there's so many all over the place because there will always be a like a cult of people that will want these things physically. And I don't think that's ever going away. So no. I'm really glad that some video stores can still stand. And I feel like other ones are going to be opening. Like Vinegar Syndrome wants to open video stores like everywhere. Like I know oh, they have the archive, but I've heard that they want to open more as well. Again, as, as someone who's just, I miss that culture. Uh, it's something I get out of listening to Bay Street Video is, is that oh, kind of uh, just it reminds me of the kind of conversations that I would be having at the video store in mm. between dealing with customers. So the Laser Blast Film Society is something I've always wanted, like a movie club where I could watch films with a bunch of people. And so one day I finally did it. I bought a projector. We did it at my pal uh, Trevor Henderson's house. We He was nice enough to have us every over week. And like it would change for the first couple months, like people would come and go. And eventually it became like the same, like five to eight people that would come to every screening. We even did podcasts and I think they're out there somewhere. We would all sit in a circle and I would ask questions and people would answer what they thought about the movie. And eventually my pal Peter, uh, he knew the guy that was running the Royal Cinema and he asked him, hey, do you wanna do screenings on VHS? And we were like, sure. So that's how we started. We did screenings on VHS and we would do them on VHS, play VHS tape until that machine broke and we couldn't do it anymore. And then we started doing uh, just rare films, uh, films that like no one knows about, which means that we wouldn't get that many people that would come. It would be like 15 to 30 people every right. in this cavernous 200 seat cinema. But we loved it, putting these films up on the big screen that uh, never were meant to be shown that big because Royal Cinema is actually a, a color correction suite or it was where people would color correct their movies. And then at night it became a cinema. Now it's like a weird restaurant. Uh, it a lot of stuff went down during the pandemic of course and so we did that for like a number of years and it was super fun to do all these screenings we did some in 35 millimeter uh like we played like no retreat no surrender three blood brothers oh, on 35 millimeter and uh yeah it was a blast i love doing that the only weird thing about laser blast is that like it never got bigger is that like we kept doing it we had all this big bat log we did original posters but like it, it never like blew up and that's like the secret that we couldn't quite figure out. and peter kapowski was the programmer of midnight madness at tiff and that still didn't bring any more people out interesting <laughs> uh, people like they need to have a general idea of the movie of what it is and that's like why well, you see like phantom of paradise plays all the time and like uh, even something like I just saw Under Siege at a cinema. That's great. That one never really played, but people know what that is, so they'll show up to it. When we would play stuff like The Skid Kid, or um, we did The Instructor before Red Letter Media did it, people are like, I don't know what this is. And we would hope that we would get people who'd be like, I want to see whatever they want to do every month. So that's what we did, and that was the, the most fun part about it. Well, me and uh, uh, Will are about to start one at the Fox Theater. They asked us to do some. So. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Yeah, and we won't be doing, at least most of the time, really rare ones. I think we asked if we could do Drunken Master first. The oh, okay. Film. okay. So, like, people know what it is. They can come. 
So, and Will's the one who's like, Drunken Master? I was like, yeah. I like throw my list out of like films that people don't know anything about. Of course. Is this under the Important Cinema? Uh, yeah, it'll be like the Important Cinema Club screening series. We, I don't know if we have a title or something. That like rules. That, yet, so. that rules. Oh, man. That's that's exciting. If we can get that over in Vancouver, that would be really <laughs> cool. I think, did the Rio play something that was? Oh, yeah. I think they did. Yeah, I was in contact with them for a while. I think they did Thrilling Bloody Sword before Agfa took it. And before it completely disappeared, and then another company grabbed it. So. Okay, that's a long, complex story. I actually can't share because uh, oh, it has nothing to do with me. I like relinquished all rights because I was like, I don't own the rights to it. Like this right. was a gray market movie, uh, but a company's releasing a remastered version of that on Blu-ray. Interesting. Point, I was wondering about that. At, like, okay. at, 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 I don't know when. Like they they announced it, and they hadn't really had any elements or anything like that. So it's probably two to three years before they finally get to it. Right. Right. One of the things I did read about those events is that you'd make like a one of a kind clamshell, a VHS clamshell. Oh yeah, we did that early on. Yeah, and then we would um, uh, raffle it at the screening, and it would be the tape that we played at that screening that was in the VCR. They would get that tape was all like the pre-show stuff. So I would do like a little ten-minute pre-show and like trailers and all that stuff. So that was the one. I don't even own one of those. Like they are out in the wild. Yeah. What a what a cool way and an incentive to get people there too. Mm-hmm. Mango Shake was a film that Peter saw and he programmed for what the film fest and when we showed it, loved it, and I met Terry Chu there, the director and writer and co-star, even though he doesn't want to admit to that. And I just asked him, I said, "Hey man, how would you feel if I put this out on Blu-ray?" And I thought sometimes I'll see movies and I'll be like, "Well, I can't put that out on Blu-ray. Like someone else bigger than me will get it." I'm very kind of like conscious of that and i go i'd rather them go with someone that like uh i'm trying to think of who releases like low budget movies now maybe arrow if there's like a certain level of slickness to it sometimes people will send me movies and i was i'll be like no that played at fright fest like this person had their previous film released by arrow i'm not going to put their movie out like i'm very aware of that but terry's was like low budget enough and after a certain amount of time like no one had touched it or picked it up that i went hey terry do you mind if i do this and he went sure and that's how that came about. And I was able to release it. I love Mango Shake. And that's one that I wish more people could see as well. And it's out, it's online. I think Terry put it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needs to put it out for free, I feel like. For then sure. it would get a bigger audience. But he may feel a little bit uncomfortable about that at the moment. Uh, it's the nature of the beast. It's so yeah. hard to just get eyeballs, right? That's, yeah. It's just Mango Shake is one of those that I feel like you could take like five minute or 10 minute chunks and put them online. And people would be like, what is this? And like want to oh, know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. And uh, how that led to you uh, as an executive producer... Well, open Doom. I did nothing on Open Doom Crescendo. <laughs> like, you're, you're credited on IMDb. I am. And he asked me, cool. he said, hey, can, can I put your name on Open Doom Crescendo? I went, sure. That's fine. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I I think I watched the hour long version that he did. And then he said, I'm going to make a three hour version. I went, good luck to you. Never thinking he would do it. <laughs> then the pandemic happened. And I think that kind of like it motivated him. He had nothing else to do. And he was able to complete that three hour version of the movie. And it's amazing. It's so good. That, and I mean, if people won't watch Mango Shake, I don't know if they'll watch Open Doom Crescendo. I Maybe just because it's like more anime influence. I mean, for me, when someone says, oh, someone made like a three hour existential anime inspired, no budget. Movie, I'm like, yes, please. I would like to see that. Of course. Yeah, I, but not everybody is me or you. <laughs> like, that's the tough part. We just need to find of more of us and get that connection. Because I hear all, all, all the time people be like, whoa, you do Gold Ninja video? Wow, that's crazy. How have I never heard about this before? And I'm like, I don't know. You need better friends. I don't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, I started fucking around in, uh, in the latter years of high school. Granted, uh, in well, like in uh, Montreal High School, I think it ends two years before the rest of uh, uh, high schools. So, and those two years become uh, the equivalent of college, where they would they took the last two years of high school and made it cool by by letting you go into finally exploring the program, uh, you know, fields and programs that you would want to. Uh, invest yourself in into university because now the idea of having go to go straight from high school to university is is like I can't even compute with that. So I will give that to as like one of the few things that Quebec got right in its in, in its BS <laughs> so, socio political history. But uh, uh, that aside, yeah, I started messing around with uh, with uh, video making in with school projects and uh, right high on. school. And then uh, the- Was there a film program in the school or was it something- No, like no, it was completely a science, a science math-based high school. So it was, it was a fucking nightmare to have to exist through. And so the moment certain teachers, like English teachers particularly, in, in, encouraged video assignments, I went way too far into them. I started hijacking other people's <laughs> projects. <laughs> in uh, in an effort to uh, to actualize like my, my repressed um, I guess artistic uh, uh, wants because I, I when I started as a kid I, I wanted to act and then you know the more and more films I watched the, the more I understood the the, the like the construct behind the film that's not just the actor who like created the film but but some cases it is, but it usually it's um, there's like oh yeah the director and the writer and the crew and all that, and the, so the mo- the first significant project I did was this uh, adaptation of uh, the whole thing of Macbeth, which was me like and I hijacked like the classroom across the hallway because the my class only got to do I think like one scene or something uh, whatever it was it didn't make any sense and it wasn't rewarding so. I ended up, uh, yeah. So that, uh, so in high school, I decided, okay, I, I'll probably uh, continue uh, fucking with this. And then college was when I finally really uh, dove into it on, a, I guess, a um, uh, in a way that I would, I could picture myself maybe doing it um, as a self-destructive like career in the sense that like it's like I knew that this I had I had enough knowledge, you know, that art is just like not a viable or stable or safe career path. But I, um, I, I guess I just thought that, you know, well, screw it. I'm, I'm probably like, I, I'd be screwed anyway if I didn't go into art. Cause I'm just not that, I'm not the kind of person who can, who can do a nine to five, uh, um, in the, like the same way that most great people can like, you know, do in, in their daily lives. I just like, I'm just not functioned to survive in, uh, in contemporary society and in industrialized like society so yeah um, yeah college went into college was when it got it really cemented university was when it kind of tested uh, my my wish a bit in terms of because uh, high school is very no no um university was where they taught you everything on a on an industry level on like a really like kind of like ladder climbing industry level mm-hmm. and so fittingly i i came i came out with uh, zero contacts, zero skills, everything that they taught me, I would just like uh, deliberately not <laughs> like learn or go against. And so I essentially graduated sarcastically, and and then I love that, that. A sarcastic yeah, like, graduation. 
yeah, it was just the act of the diploma, so my mom wouldn't like kill me with a broom, you know, and, and <laughs> I I wanted to like yeah, not like not to her waste her first generation sacrifices, and so you know it's like the you you get that done, and then you go and do your thing, and now mm-hmm. I'm still living the the consequences of that, but it it is a direct, I guess it's all this like curvy direct curvy while direct line to where we are now in terms of the the practice of DIY art because. Yeah, it's uh no, it, it's a nightmare. I, I don't I don't even know. Like just that was a couple of days ago where I was just imagining I just flirted with the idea of doing another film from from like the ground up, right? Just like mm-hmm. a, a fully realized feature and I'm talking like a five minute thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I just like started, you know, proverbially sweating just at the idea of it, you know, it's like I don't I don't I'll just try to work on the Blu ray of uh, ODC forever until Justin says like enough. Like I'm selling it you know, and because uh, I don't know what he said to you about the executive producer part, but I do remember him on the Important Cinema Club saying that he has he had nothing to do with the film, even though I listed him as an executive producer. So it's kind That's of funny. Same thing to me. Okay, well for me, like I and I don't know if he remembers this, but it's essentially because he gave me access to his uh, Google Google Drive like family plan, like the the full on one terabyte or no two terabyte Google uh, Google Drive plan, oh, right? Wow. Uh, for the Mango Shake Blu-ray release. And like this was like, because I had nowhere to upload, right? So he let me have access to that. And then I told him, uh, so when once the Blu-ray was done, um, I told him, okay, uh, you can take me off the plan. And he never followed up to that. So I just kept noticing that like I still had the, ter- the two terrified access. And then every now and then, like every so often, I'll say, like, hey, Justin, since, uh, since I'm still... Uh, haven't been ejected from your flag. Can I just like use it briefly to like <laughs> upload some stuff? And he's like, yeah, totally. And then that kept happening. And then at a certain point, I told him like, are you going to take me off this plan? <laughs> and, he t- and he essentially said, no. <laughs> and I thought like, okay, well, uh, you're basically like enabling me on just like such a, uh, such a key level, right? In terms of just having the digital like uh, real estate, like just like digital, like land, right? To 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 work with, and so yeah, the that that was the least I could do. Which because essentially, if, if we're gonna like even talk it talk about it on like a really term like term level, right? Terminology level, then to uh, to be an executive producer is like it's isn't one way to provide you like like help you financially, and so like he essentially is by giving me access perpetually to his uh, Google Drive plan. Then I have yeah, I've like I've probably saved so much on on like like the headaches of where to upload shit and stuff. Oh, that would the time adds up. I mean, that yeah, is yeah. something I deal with, you know, on a client to client basis constantly. It's a, it's a huge issue, right? Like you would yeah. think at this point it would be pretty standard, uh, given what what everyone's able to do with their phones and stuff and how big these yeah. files can get, that there would just be a, an infrastructure in place that would allow for that. But uh, it's it's a constant hassle. It's a constant problem. That's a huge benefit. And that's a really beautiful story. I love that. Yeah. No, like, Justin is, is arguably the, the disproportionately, like the person I, I wish I spoke to more of who I love, like by disproportion, right? Like I love him so much and it's like it's an honor it's also a blessing it's also just like a genuinely heartwarming thing to to see him and jeremy be like as uh, supportive as he is um what i do want knowing like like he that he's arguably like the the most film 
uh, a, a, like knowledgeable person uh, alive that that I know of, right? And uh, and uh, so for him to like have like some space in it in his like epic <laughs> like ar- just the like, ar- archaeology uh, uh, encyclopedia like, world of films, I have a little spot for me is is a real honor. And Absolutely. so, a spectacle uh, review of uh, ODC, I made absolutely a point to make that the description of the spectacle screening and the spectacle screening was like um just just for the longest time like uh, um the end game for me right if i screen nowhere else that would be the place that i want to screen at spectacle and so i submitted uh his review as the description for the spectacle screening and so that was a gesture uh, um, for me to like uh, out of you know uh, love and appreciation because there's no one else who could have described it better, right? Than, Absolutely. Than just not in there. I also just watched Teddy Bomb like a couple of days ago. Finally, oh, right on. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, and I loved it. It was like yeah, I would make a Teddy Bomb too if uh, <laughs> he and Peter allowed me to. Oh. I, I like I told him that. Uh, I don't. It'll, I know it'll never happen, just like by by like pr- practicality sake. But if I did, like I I would want to just make a, a Teddy Bomb sequel, or a, a P- but Peter would have to come back to life, and he'd have to have to go through like a whole atonement arc and be on, be like the full on hero of like the second Teddy Bomb. So hey, we're recording this right now, and yeah. he might just hear this. It, it yeah, might just I, happen. Especially yeah, if we yeah. stitch the two episodes together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I already have like, like weird, like <laughs> Spider-Man three ripoff imagery where you know in Spider-Man three where like he pulls out, like Peter pulls out like the suitcase where like he for some reason like put away his like Spider-Man suit in, in like a briefcase under the bed, right? And then like pulls out like 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 a guiltily the the costume, so like Peter would for somehow like pull out a briefcase and like his hat would be in there. Cause he lost his hat at the end of like Teddy Bomb, right? And so he just like pulls off the hat and he's like all like atoning and then he would fit the back, fit the hat back on like as a Supergirl costume. It makes no sense, but it's just like these it's little things. Super, that it, it's about. so beautiful to hear uh, a fellow Spider-Man three fan I wax poetically Spider-Man. about it because you know, like, and and I've, I've recognized this in the films that you've reviewed and logged on Letterboxd. Oh, um, so you, you've read my review of Spider-Man 3, right? Oh, yeah. I read your review of Insidious 2, which got me to oh, even yeah. pay attention to Insidious. Like, I'm behind on Saw. I need to catch up on Insidious. Your Insidious 2 review is fantastic, man. That That's what got me to put it on my watch list. Now i got to watch both of them in conjunction. Oh, yeah. It's it's a great ride, man. You got, like, uh, the, if you do it, yeah, like, late. I, I mean, it could be at any point, I guess, but with an intermission between the two... Yeah, that sounds amazing. I have the last. I have on my wall. It's like it's on the other side. Like it's. Uh, I have the picture of uh, the <laughs> when the scary old woman like <laughs> lunges at the screen, and right underneath that, I have the poster of Insidious Two, where it's like Rose Byrne and and the kids, like like yeah. like at like the silhouette of the old lady of the scary old lady, and Rose Byrne's about to hammer, and it's just like it's, it's, to me like that <laughs> that says it all because it's so hype. That's the yeah, inspiration. You, I love that because uh, I met him at because he and Peter were first ones to screen Mango Shake at the What the Film Fest. Peter Kaplowski. And yeah, so I guess they get like, uh, is, is What the Film, no, yeah, What the Film Fest is like with the Laser Black Film Society, which is Peter and Justin. And so Justin, I got to meet at the, um, the screening of uh, Mango Shake. And so he was there selling uh, his arsenal of, uh, of Gold Ninja Video Blu-rays. And yeah, so we stayed in touch. And then when I thought it was, when we decided it was time to, 
put it on physical media. Justin offered to be the one to yeah put it out, and so from there, it, yeah, we just stayed in touch, and and I and I I thought it was um like one, it was an awesome experience like putting it out through Gold Ninja, but it was also the only like experience that I could have that I could have had with like getting physical media out on a public platform because. Yeah, again, Justin's the only one doing it, and it's appropriate that he'd be the only one doing it. Like, I wouldn't if it was like, like a like a a, a serial killer, a psychopath being the only one putting out, you know, uh, indie Blu-ray labels. Like, I probably wouldn't be down <laughs> for that. But the fact that it's Justin is a uh, is a big deal to me. So Absolutely. yeah, from then on, I just uh, I just kept him. I just stayed in touch. Uh, I invited him every time that. No, ODC had a screening. He made it out to the first one at Paradise, and um, and he was the first one to like unleash my Insidious Two lore because it was on the Blu-ray commentary of uh, a Mango Shake when we were talking. That was like our first genuine like like extended uh, oh, conversation. Really? Yeah, the movie is like an hour, like a forty or something, and we we talked for three hours. It's like our the actual conversation was three hours, and at some point it uh, <laughs> went off course into city into my Insidious Two rant. That was like the first time I ranted to someone about Insidious Two, and that just went on I think for like <laughs> like twenty minutes or something. So that became the beginning of the running joke, and that's another reason why I love him so much is because like he just enables these like he's just so in, he's just so down for like things like this, you know. And Absolutely. especially with like all the films he's watched, right? But for him to be equally as enthusiastic about like Insidious Two, which is probably like so random for him, but but yeah, he he put a an Easter egg on the the Mango Shape Blu-ray where like of a of a, a cut section of uh, my Insidious Two tangent. Which really? Is, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then on, at the Paradise when there was a Q uh, during the Q and A, yeah, someone asked me uh, um, what inspired me, and then I brought it, and then I brought up Insidious, and then like you immediately hear Justin like like cackle oh, like. Oh, but dude, I remember this crowd. on Instagram actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. that's exactly it. And, and it was so such a it's such a honestly five of the most beautiful minutes of my life. <laughs> and he is like a direct part of that. It's just like the, it, it was such a perfect. Because you can't possibly ask for these moments in life, right? And mm-hmm. it was like, and especially in the context of like where I was at at the time, it was like uh, coming out of it. It was just a really emotional time. I just buried my dad like four days before, and so like I, you know, I, I came to Toronto like already like an emotional mess. Like I, I had like the one mega bus ride to like cry my eyes out and just like process, and then I went into the paradise like humbled and going like okay everyone hates this like at least it's like I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here but if you do hate it be honest because that's what the art is about and all that and then people seem to yeah like um enjoy it and then the q a was cathartic and then it gets to that point it's like i i, I kind of like thinking like really like large like crazy detective wall like uh, narratives right so it's like and then leading up to that moment with that insidious two question right well no, not it was like it was, it was just a question and i answered insidious and then for the next five minutes it was just mass chaos it was just like it was just peter trying to like change the subject and like none of us letting him you know like we keep bringing it back yeah. so in your interview with uh, mark hansen for the toronto film critics you mentioned editing mango shake and feeling like it was going to suck 
which uh, I absolutely know that feeling because I felt that pretty much the whole time I was making Roach. So I can relate to that. But you said that ODC was kind of the first time you maintained a passion about something the whole way through and unabashedly believed in it. Does that mean that the initial negative feeling while in post-production for Mango Shake lasted the entire time? Or was there a period of acceptance? Have you grown a love for it at this point? Or where are you at with it? Yeah, it, it lasted and I still have like really uh, unreconciled misgivings uh, that at like at most met with the peace of mind that like I did everything I possibly could to um, <laughs> to uh, limit whatever like damage or or mismessaging that that I could have done with with it because it's there's a couple factors. One of them is is that Mango Shake was in it. Uh, in its production, in in kind of real time, a almost this social experiment where I'm trying to figure out if I if I belong around all these people and is there a place for me in this uh, toxic um, Western coming of age romantic kind of youth uh, experience, right? And so I'm trying to deconstruct like say that like, I'm, I'm trying to deconstruct this thing while also leaving the space to you know be open to it so it's almost this hypocritical double standard thing that i'm doing and uh this like pr- uh, i don't even get the term like ha- have your cake and eat it too like wouldn't you want to eat your cake but anyway <laughs> but like in, in the usage of that term that's kind of what i was trying to do and then by the end of it uh like thank the devil for like not letting me be part of that like youthful romantic good looking you know it's like toxic thing right because because uh, then I'd just be like another a hole uh, but yeah I, I didn't get to I the the lesson was no I don't belong around all these like good looking uh, people and and so um, th- so that aspect it was like it there was just this um, resentment that like. Or, or you know, but also you know, um, resentment towards myself and like, equally that uh, as as much as towards the outside world that kind of carries over into uh, to whatever the footage is, and then having mm-hmm. to edit that right, and then you know I, I go through like this very cliche quarter life crisis while like the the film is still not done because it just took forever to finish it because people couldn't understand anything char- characters were saying and then I needed like subtitle catching here and there. There's like a, the festival version has subtitles in key places, which feels like a, a crush regardless how stylized it is. And then it, there's like also, you know, like, I'm questioning my identity, like as an Asian diaspora, you know, like, like where do I fit? The whole like classic, you know, like, I'm not, not white enough, not that I necessarily want to be, but I'm also not Asian enough. And even I try to be like, I'm not. And then, it's like the whole thing where like am i am i like regressing my my race by like putting all these like chinese joke like you know charming asian china like am i like starting asian hate it's like before i stop asian hate is even a thing and it's like all these like really dark like rabbit holes that i'm going on you know and, like i'm asking other like asian people like am i being racist in here and it's like and it's like other people are going like uh no i don't really see it like even white people and i'm going like wait but then does that mean you're racist and it's like i don't know you know and then it's it's uh, uh and then i make myself like this like butt of the joke and then and then and i'm going like is it just like an exercise in self-hate or am i just trying to humble myself by saying i can play into like the humor of it and then like if i were to be really kind of uh, like borderline narcissistic but also like self-loving it's like am i 
is like Simon, who's just like this like character who I would just talk about as this, like piece of shit that's just like just, just there to like ruin every scene. Is he just like is he like the Jesus who just shows up and gives everyone like a identity crisis by by making them like look inwards and then he just disappears and then everyone who like comes into contact with him like has a mental breakdown. It's like so it's like so you can, yeah I can go on forever, but it's like all these things are going like what did I like like did I just make this the most unnecessarily implicit thing where none of these things you know and and in the case of like phil like is he just like like because i he wasn't meant to be like an, an appropriating like like racist he's just like he's just an idiot you know he just doesn't know how to like express himself so like i just and I'm like i'm the one who wrote child made asian china it's not him but then people won't know that they'll, they'll think like he's like just being racist and that's not me making like a self-aware like like joke on like you know like cultural like lost in translation kind of thing but Anyway, this is like really uh, like personal and deep, like kind of like a, a rabbit hole shit I'm, I'm going into. But that's that's just like some misgivings that like that I have with with um, the film, along with you know all the the yeah like the whole like toxic uh, uh, youth romanticism thing that that I'm trying to um, be at peace with, but then also uh, um, uh, be accountable for like participating in as mm-hmm. as like a. Cause, cause you know, it might be an anti coming of age film, but it's still coming of age film, right? Just by design. Right. And so the piece, the limit, the ceiling of the piece that I have it, with it is in the, the director's commentary where I basically go performance art and like within that, that span of the, the film, I had to just like say every single thing that I did wrong and that like, that I actually meant it to be and that, you know, this and that. And, and it, it's just, it's just like a thing that I can never um, be okay with as a whole, mm-hmm. right? It's not like I can go and comfortably tell people who like are gonna watch it for the first time, just like skip the movie and just watch the the director's like commentary, commentary. version. Right? <laughs> it's like don't even watch the movie; just look at the trailer, look at the posters because those are nice, those are like iconic in in of themselves, right? But well, in that it sense, doesn't... it seems to be like a transitional film to get to ODC, right? Like, there's a lot of the if you're on the subject of the subtitles, right? Like both yeah. utilize the hard coded subs and, and yeah. use them in kind of tongue in cheek ways. Yeah. Um, okay with, cause that's like back to front, front, like front to back. Cause the thing with mango shake is, is that it's like only in like select parts. Mm-hmm. And another thing that like was a red flag to me was the fact that like my character has like the majority of the subtitles. So it's like, it might be racist, <laughs> it might be unintentionally racist by like making it seem like, like the what like the the Asian guy can't speak like properly, right? But no, it's just me like going hardcore uh, heat stroke la- language, right? Which I, I told everyone else to do, but you know, right? Like I have the the most the best understanding of that, like the logical extreme of that. I I kind of like went full on in it, right? But then it's like all these kind of intention then leads to like uh, unintended like consequences, and so I in the. Um, my director's cut of um, the film, like both, because both versions are available on the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. that your doing? Did you always know that you had a director's cut in mind, or was that one of those things where because Justin always has an extra movie or different cut of the film? Yeah, from from the get-go, I like I forcefully like edited it like against like uh, Peter's uh, just uh, uh, recommendations, or just like because because Peter was a huge advocate of the festival cut. But I was never uh, like full respect to him. I was never okay with it for my like my personal reasons. And that's the so, one hour and thirty eight minute one versus yeah, exactly. the extended heat stroke yeah. edition, right? Yeah. yeah. So I like any given opportunity that I can, I will like 
direct people towards the the like the mine cut, uh, much to Peter's dismay. Oh, <laughs> and, what uh, does Nina like about it? What's what's the difference well, there? There there are certain moments that like that go on that um, he says like don't flow well, mm-hmm. and um, which like I don't necessarily disagree with him on, but it, I just like, kind of. Um, I guess I, I just don't I don't see like the the pacing like the the streamlined pacing in in the effectiveness that he does, and yeah I think it's just a matter of like certain things that uh, like I think the biggest caveat was the opening where like right after the water balloon uh, smashes uh, Salim's head in the festival cut it just ends right there right but then like and in my version it just like keeps going where they there's this like confrontation with the. The, the guy like on the rooftop, yeah. yeah it's like, so I just thought that was uh, that was necessary. Otherwise, like, it didn't really um, make sense. Otherwise, but uh, but yeah, like, there's like you know little moments here and there. Ironically, I, I think I end up. Um, I don't know if I cut. There's like some things I even like cut out of the festival cut that's not even in the 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 director's cut. That while I put restored some things that were cut. I'm not really. I don't remember everything, but but yeah. For one thing, the subtitles, which uh, were Peter's idea, which are were effective for sure, as like uh, on an access level for audiences. Like I took that out as a uh, kind of like I'll deal with the consequences of people understanding the film less. Right. But like if it means like having just this like neutral thing where like no one is no character, no single character is like is like almost like shamed. <laughs> on like a technical level which that's not the intent but that's just the, it's something again it's like the the additive of things right right uh, for that sure and it makes me have this like yeah this i, I i'm not okay with it unless i i know there's like a, a version where you know uh, i can be at peace with mm-hmm. so but, but yeah the- i always feel like i'm okay with because it's like front to back everyone is subtitled right yeah and on the subject of odc it was like kind of the pot at the end of the rainbow while you completed mango shake um yeah so at that point were you already envisioning that as a multi-part movie because uh i know that you started with odc 21 and so what was the, the screening? only thing that ever screened publicly uh was 21 but through the spectacle online online, online during series, covid yeah, during 2021 yeah which mark hansen wrote his uh his piece his, on. Uh, yeah his first piece on that. so then was uh were, were you already envisioning that as a multi-part movie and uh was the episodic nature of its form kind of a relief in the sense of you're completing a bigger story but in smaller chunks it was always the the, um, the whole thing and then it just happened to be that 21 was the only piece that could could be fully presented and uh, um at the time when the during covid uh if we're all gonna die i might as well just like throw my original plans hell out in terms of waiting till the whole thing's done right and just show this as almost this uh retroactive uh litmus test because okay. it was almost, it was almost this kind of uh gamble because i knew 21 was to me the the, the most uh, offshoot episode but it also had enough on its own as a world building thing and uh, i i could be okay with sending that out there and then having that scene without context of uh, the rest of it because right. like none of the like the the primary primary characters so to speak uh, are are in it the main storyline isn't involved in 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 21 21 is like essentially the only one that's like uh an, the offshoot but like at a, at this um but within the 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 
the like the tapestry of, of the whole thing it's it has like it's met its use but i wanted to at least test like whether like where could people be into the like the sensibilities like the world building the 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 certain already like the you know the the stylism and all that and that people were into that if people were like into the like the weirdest episode or what I call it, like what I would joke as like the boring episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> people would, would be into the rest of it. So it was almost this like challenge of, well, do people like the like the worst episode? <laughs> and they do then though, because in the in the context of like the whole thing, and it was originally supposed to be like a full on forty five minute like detour from narrative, and, and even then it was just too much, which is why uh, it's it's cut down to like about twenty minutes in right. the final. Part. Because uh, even I'm going like this is so freaking long like this like <laughs> and it, it's, it's it was interesting to, to like put out uh, on mm-hmm. its own. The production was halted due to COVID yeah. and forced you to edit that episode, and you just happened to film enough for episode twenty one. Well, we only felt we were we were only able to film half of it by the end of twenty nineteen. Okay, because it's because it was like uh, <laughs> it was designed as a four hour movie. Like, it was, like, designed in, with the idea that this can go on till four hours, right? And this was before Zack Snyder's Justice League, so I thought it was, like, a whole radical thing. So, like, <laughs> to, like, deliberately plan ahead for, like, a four-hour movie, right? Just, like, make my career as inaccessible as possible, you know? And so, by, by the end of 2019, we only shot half of it, which, to me, was an accomplishment because if, uh, if it's a four-hour movie and you shot two hours of it, then I essentially was, uh, I, I was, I was consistent with myself and that i was able to shoot the equivalent of a feature length film by the end of one summer right so 2020 uh, um i was only able to shoot like just like a few like key things right and but other than that it was uh yeah it got resumed in 2021 and then so it was like a, it was a production that that lasted across like a number of years and even a, a bunch of you know um uh, select kind of uh, re- even removed things were like removed from like the body of like the the, the prime narrative or like across all these years like you, you see in the stream of consciousness section that goes back as early as the, the college years mm-hmm. so there's a, there's like a um but there are key things that were shot like you know so in 2017 uh like 20 maybe like yeah beginning of 2019 before the summer even started so it's it's like it spans a lot, but it was mainly, yeah, two summers. Your interview with Mark made it sound like you were working your way up to a Zack Snyder level track record, right? Yeah. And then I read this uh, write-up on ODC from your friend Ethan, Ethan Ng, um, for Talk House, and he's yeah. speculating that this is your bow-out. Now, I, I didn't know if this was tongue-in-cheek or if this was meant to be taken seriously because I read it and it, it almost matched the the feeling of angst that ODC emanates. Uh, so I didn't know whether to take it seriously. I'm just kind of curious at this point what your feelings on filmmaking are at, at right now. Are you excited about making more stuff or are you actually feeling like this is your bow out? Oh, thank you so much for that. That really, uh, I feel like this is a therapy session that I've really needed. And because, uh, yeah, you're touching on a lot of, the, uh, of in like very like, simultaneously crucial things that I've been thinking about uh, and I'll try to like just uh, um, like gra- like answer what I can grasp on like Absolutely. as I stream of consciousness go well for one I think Ethan 
because um because because Ethan's someone that who I talk who I've talked very candidly to and put a lot of my um confidence in as as like a young successful version of me right it was like because i i got to know ethan a couple of weeks before uh he became uh like a uh, hollywood right? not like uh, he does he won't like that when i say so but like he became like you know like, hot stuff right it very de- completely deservedly and so i just like as soon as i saw his his film uh, um be mentioned casually in the list of what, like, what was going to play at slam dance as reported by the Hollywood Reporter, I just like wrote to him all my my hopes and dreams and told him, you know, like just the the um, and 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 I was very uh, blunt and un, uh, uh, like almost uh, brazen with, with how it feels like. At least for me, my my time is already up before I even my before I'm even like in right and. And so, like seeing someone like Ethan, it gives me a lot of hope, and then it also uh, makes me feel sorry for myself in in a very like, in a very uh, uh, ironically self kind, self lovingly like like accepting way. Because I, it's like I, yeah, you 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 would notice like I I mean like I'm assuming you would notice in terms of just as as DIY filmmakers or like like people who just don't have the institutional backing necessarily or like, mm-hmm. people who just like anyone else who, you know, spent their lives wanting to partake in art, you know, like what a world it would, would it be to, you know, make art and not have to worry about whether you're screwed for life, you know, or, you know, and, and what would it take for you to be the 1% of the 1% or that, you know, it, it's such a blessing uh, to, to be one of the five million people applying for that one grant that only one a-hole is going to get but it's going to be like the son of the dad of you know like the the director of you know the jury it's like and like when did we settle for so much less in in this like uh like scrapping for like you know crawling for scraps and and essentially cannibalizing each other in the process like so we want to be like the few people who get to make art and Mm -hmm. I guess as I get, um, as like my, my years, like one by one by one, like go off. Right. And then especially with this last year, um, there was a lot of, uh, in, in one sense, like I've got to self actualize like through like very much through the enabling of like the people around me to go on this like DIY is like fuck you world tour. <laughs> like, I mean, like it, it counts as world cause it's going to Australia. It's like one place. So, so cool, man. So yeah. cool. I'm so stoked yeah. for you. Thank you. And, and on one hand there's that. And on the other hand, right. It's like, you know, you, it's like, I don't tell my mom this, but it's like, I see her getting older. Like I, I finally am accepting. She looks like, like looking old. Like and, and and dad's gone and, and like Henry's got my brother's got to he's doing his thing across the the, the country and it's like mm-hmm. a reason why I was like I like I sweat at just the thought of even like flirting with the idea of making another film is that like, the amount of shit that in real life that that is like now essentially like uh, like behind you just like waiting to like you know take you right yeah. it's like you know in the first insidious like when, when like the the Darth Maul pops up behind Patrick Wilson like out of nowhere it's like all this like real life is like like you like your time's up and, that's, yeah. Yeah. and it's like it, and it really is like like it's not even my own will it's just um even just the practicality of life you know like I you know just before getting on this call with you I spent the day 
uh, figuring out like the insurance on the car, which was in my dad's name. And now I got to do all this transfer stuff. And it's all super boring styling, but it's like, you know, like imagine, you know, like just, it's, it's already insane to have to like, live like, life maybe make it through life right but yeah. then to, to not to like make it through life as an unwell adjusted person as someone who's got to like loophole their way through whether it's through freelancing right mm-hmm. or or like uh finding a way to like, get the government to fund you when they like very deliberately did not give you the grant that you you did like like um win right but then you know and it's and it, uh, and i guess the the part of like what i what i what makes me so um proud in a non-arrogant way with with ODC is that it does feel like if I got nothing left it, it is because I, I it is for one reason because I put it all in there right and if I get and I, if I don't ever get, get to make another thing I can be like at least at peace in this I'll still kick and scream <laughs> it's like to, to death right I get that got like like kind of wise and shit but i'm still gonna be uh, uh, you know uh, um screwing my way to death like but but at least i'll know that the, the thing that the last thing i did was like it was uh, it reflected the values that i had mm-hmm. and i don't and you know it's it's uh, when we when we live a life where we we uh, we we know we won't get permission then it's i, I guess it's a it, it's an act of defiance in of itself or like an act that can move, move people hopefully to give yourself and uh, provide them the, the concept that they get to give themselves the permission to like, go completely out. Cause I know it also sounds like, cause I don't want to get to like hyperbole about the kind of DIY filmmakers going like, you know, just go and make your phone, like go all out. <laughs> that even becomes a cliche in itself. Mm-hmm. I love Ethan, but like the amount of times that I've heard him like you know, be on like interviews saying like just go and make your thing and be badass and stuff, and in such a uh, uh, like a like a throwaway casual way. Mm-hmm. It's like he's kind of like another. It sounds like, like a government funded PSA or something. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't funded, but he's not like another. No, but you know what I mean. Like it just sounds yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're being yeah, delivered yeah. a message from a television yeah. commercial because yeah. you've just heard that sentiment thrown at you yeah. so much yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah, from yeah. people that don't care about yeah, yeah. you making stuff so to hear it earnestly you know like props to him for saying that because yeah. it's beautiful and yeah. uh, people should hear that and take it in uh, at yeah. an earnest level uh but i think we've built these kind of deflectors yeah. especially when you are a diy creator or someone yeah, yeah, who yeah. wants to create and that message is just no one's listening to the uh but this, but that, but I have a life to live, but I only have yeah. an hour or two devoted each day or even maybe even each week if you have a ton of yeah. responsibilities to get your thing done. Yeah, like I think I'm just I think I'm just bitter because Ethan's still going through puberty. <laughs> so he's got all the time ahead to go and make his like all out film, right? Meanwhile it's like I'm like I'm like slowly like grizzling away and seeing like, you know what, man, <laughs> it's like great for you. <laughs> Oh, but and also, I think I'm just jealous that like he and like Avalon Fast ha- already have like this like huge cult following. <laughs> just like I'm making a running joke out of it, but I think a lot of it is probably me just being like, a little bitch about it. <laughs> so, like I, it I, might even be the lack of recognizing your own uh, cult following that you're developing again, like this scrappy world tour. Uh, the yeah, fact that people yeah. are starting to pay attention to you in this way, like the fact that. Ethan put 
the Open Doom Crescendo trailer on his Therapy Dogs yeah, Blu-ray, which is... I mean, to me, I'm just stoked that somebody who, you know, uh, would seek uh, out, like, you know, oh, it's the guy who produced Nirvana, the band, the show, or whatever, has produced this film uh, by this filmmaker. Let's check it out. What the hell is this? They watched the trailer for Open Doom Crescendo. Yeah. I think... that's a that's a huge I will protect Ethan at all costs. So I, I like all this aside, like just like on the record, I I I, I will not hesitate to like take a sh- like a buckshot, like a shotgun buckshot for him. Is like Absolutely. it's it's really yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just this is all me just projecting, but no, it's. Oh, no, it's, but it's- you touched on so many things that I, I absolutely can relate to. Like, I, you know, it took me 10 years to, and Roach took so many different forms before yeah. eventually it was about halfway through my 20s. I realized, oh, I must, I, I should learn animation. And at that point, I'm a visual effects editor. And so I'm surrounded by people that animate for a living, but I'm, you know, kind of just the guy in the back showing people's work on a screen. And uh, I was kind of trying to learn and absorb as much of the structure of like how do people make movies when it's primarily animation and like taking all of that the types of how they do code and all this you know shot codes and all this stuff and sequence codes and that's all stuff i learned from my visual effects jobs and just kind of made it my own homemade version you know scotch literally scotch tape together things that i was drawing on and putting that on another giant piece of paper that's all now a huge rolled thing that's in the back there but anywho it's when you reach 30 and you're still working on the same project and so many people have come and gone right like it started off as a project where i'm working with people and my friends and then you know life happens or they get jobs in their early 20s and they're like hey man this film thing's not for me i'll see you later i got shit to do with my you know maybe wife or you know whatever so i really it, it after a while you get this feeling like what the what the fuck am I doing, right? Like, I'm just kind of holding on to this idea. And then it took the that one premiere last year doing the 3D show and realizing, like, damn, you know, and then putting it online and some people responding to that, that you start realizing, like, okay, there's a life beyond the solitary kind of creation of it. Yeah, um, yeah. And it has For a sure. life after that. And, you know, I am burnt out. I am exhausted. I do relate to that idea of, like, just kind of bowing out, at least for a while. But... That's also kind of the beauty of DIY is that no one's really knocking on your door to make something. It is your impetus. It is yeah. you kind of just seeing the light or something. Like when I heard you wanting to make a Teddy Bomb 2, uh, that energy <laughs> is so beautiful, right? Like when you hear somebody yeah, yeah. start going off about like, man, I want to want to make a movie. It's just, it's a beautiful thing, right? And then- I think you- that's what stressed me out a couple of days ago. <laughs> I was like imagining <laughs> like just the idea of like how like the amount of sheer amount of like trauma it would take to even get to like a, a moment in time and space where like I'm asking Peter, like, can you do it like this? Can you look a little sadder while you lift this hat up? <laughs> and it's like, it makes no sense. Absolutely. And, and we're talking about like a your point about like, you know, how- like, yeah, a lot like normal, like sane people would would have only like a, an hour or two. I'm paraphrasing you, but like sane people only have like an hour or two in their week, right? It's like put their work and like put put time into their their passion and all that, right? But it's like I am like the evidence of what happens when you like forfeit a well-adjusted life and spend all your hours on it, right? It's like it's it's crazy, and and it shouldn't have to be that way. And I think part of my my like 
performative refusal to ever make another thing again is that it shouldn't have to be like this. It's like, and, I, and on one hand, I, I like, I physiologically cannot do this again unless something gives, right? Like I'm at a point where like everyone's gone. I don't like, I don't talk to any of like, I practically don't talk to anyone on, uh, from that movie anymore. Right. And like, they're all, you know, making babies and divorce papers and blowing up the houses they built and, and all that stuff. Right. They're all like doing their own thing. And it's just, if you're going to bribe people to like <laughs> go in and work on your thing, like, unless I spend the rest of my life, you know, hang out with like a, a, for a perpetual rotation of college kids, you know, which is just the creepiest thing ever. Like, I won't, I will not do that, right? You just become Larry Clark, you know, of Montreal. Yeah, I, it's like, I refuse, you know, I refuse. Like, I would rather, like, I will happily never make art again, right? It's like, I, I, something needs to give and i think part of like my the i, I guess people are gonna like find me out now like i mean I, i'm happy you put this out but it's like as a self-worth thing like if people find me out whatever but like that the idea of refusing to make another thing is, is to contribute to like putting my foot down it's like i've done it you know like i know the worth of of odc it's like you can people can still find it a piece of crap i fully respect that right and, and i won't argue against that but my point is that like i know the worth enough from like the just the, the statistical evidence of the like the people who have been moved and and just even me knowing like i can i can be i can be partisan to it right i, I know the worth that it has and if like if that's not enough to like uh, you know proverbially have some like obnoxious billionaire throw money into like what we do next right then i don't know what is because like it's maybe like maybe things are changing like with the the uh, WGA SAG strike, right? Just like that, like, like demonstrating how it just, it doesn't make any sense. These like, like yeah. these multi million billionaires, right? Crying poverty. Cause they're like, they don't want to be just like a little less obnoxiously, like, like too rich. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that you know, people are like the people who like make the art that they, that makes their people's lives, like not soulless and like empty and, and, not worth living outside of their nine to five jobs right if you can't even like balance out balance the equation a little like like even and it's not even a little like you should back, fucking totally balance like balance it out but oh yeah but you can't even like if you can't even start by you know like, with, with like, like moving towards equity then it's like i don't um uh it's almost this uh act of like self-worth to mm -hmm refuse to like make something else i'd love to like because again just to um to again to, uh ground myself back i'm screwed if i don't make art anywhere i'm not qualified to do anything you know i'm like i'm like i don't know i'm not good at math i'm not a model minority like i don't know like i don't know anything about like how this world works and how to uh it's a it's a you know work a nine to five it's it's um I, I, I've worked nine to five. It was like my, my whole first quarter of my life. And then after my identity crisis, I'm just like, I just knew, you know, like I'm, I have one physical life and I know what I can do with it. And, and I just, I don't want, and I probably can't, uh, will, will not, uh, be, want to be, like, let myself be able to function as like an, an, a non-artist. And so I just, I think that's also why I'm so stressed out. This is like I, I'm almost playing like like blink, like I'm playing like mm -hmm. the, like like chicken or whatever, you know, with like the world where like like is the world gonna you know give like give or, or am I am I really is this really it right? The first time I showed Roach, I realized how cool it was to get almost like 50 people into a room, 
uh, to watch your thing. And it's not always going to be like that, but I, I had family and friends and uh, even a few strangers that were just like interested in seeing this thing and seeing all those people together at all of these events so far. Um, you know, even the last one last week was just 20 people, I think, all together. And you can feel when it's just a smaller amount of people in a bigger room like that. But yeah, at the same yeah. time, everyone was so happy. Everyone wants to talk shop after everyone's yeah. inspired by that. And, uh, you know, it's like those are the gains that I'm finding, yeah. especially in those more kind of solitary moments of making a thing. You know, um, I'm much I'm finding myself much more driven to work by myself on something, knowing that there's going to be some kind of social yeah gathering like that even if the response isn't super casual i think even just like having a bunch of people together to experience art in any way like that is really cool like i was so stoked that we had a a bunch of you know i call them kids i don't know how old they were but they looked like they looked pretty young they looked like they were just out of high school maybe no one knew them they happened to pass by the venue and they came in and they were there for the whole thing so yeah. starting to realize like those kind of experiences are what's giving me the juice like arts and culture is not like, you take that away like what the hell do you have you know like what the hell do you do like um this is this is humanity at its peak yeah, like right yeah, now absolutely that's like riffing and you can't, <laughs> like what, what would it be without without that you know absolutely it's, it's incredible, man. Man. we're better than this it's like we are better than this and that's why and going back to like this is why like ODC as just like the most obnoxiously contrarian like DIY thing, right? Or what? Like you, you don't know who I am and you don't have any attention span for me. I'm gonna make it three hours. It's like you won't give me any money. I'm gonna make it bigger than a Hollywood movie. It's like like just because you know it's we like we're better than this. You know, like we're better than the limitations that like we we forced onto each other and ourselves. Like it, it doesn't have to be like this. You know. Gold Ninja Video's deluxe Blu-ray of Mango Shake just sold out last month, giving Terry the green light to begin working on the home release of Open Doom Crescendo. You can follow both Justin and Terry through the links in the show notes where you can also follow me too. Again, this podcast was brought to you by Schnoodle Video. Thank you so much for listening to The Schnoodlebug Show. Spread the word, tell your friends, and go make stuff.